Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to Four at the Back. It's around that this time of the year that everybody starts thinking about transfers. And if you look through the history of the Premier League, quite often these things are complete disasters. Some of our best memories of our times in the game are about transfers that looked good on paper, but just went completely wrong. Or even those ones that made no sense to begin with. So there's three of us here tonight. We've got Joe and Neil with me. Yeah, there's a certain amount of joy that comes from watching other teams make complete howlers in the transfer market, isn't it? Just to begin, though, thinking about transfer disasters, do you, do you think that there has to be the big, spectacular, huge fee involved in order to make a transfer a disaster? Or are there other things that might play into it? Quite relative to the club, isn't it? Right. So like I think like Norwich. Yeah. Norwich, when they went up last season, you know, they had, I don't know, 50, 60 million pounds to spend or whatever it was. And they basically just bought a load of players who got relegated from the Bundesliga for like six or seven million pounds each. Now, to a, a big club, that's kind of small fry. But to Norwich, that's that's proper money. So I, I think it's relative, isn't it? Like for every Pogba, for a, a, a club like United, a, a newly promoted club spending 10 million quid on a player, if they don't work out, they're probably going down. So I think it's it's, it's all relative. I think there's also there's circumstance around it as well. Because, I mean, you could say there are some transfer disasters you can think of which became disasters because a player became quite injury prone or their career was ruined by injury and they, they spent 50 million quid on a player who could never play. And then I suppose the big ones are the ones who turn up with a, amid great fanfare. And there's no role for them to play. They're bad fits for the squad. I mean, you think you think to last season, Chelsea bring in Romelu Lukaku, and there didn't seem to be any kind of plan for him to how how he was going to fit into that system, and they spent a hundred million quid on them. Now for Chelsea, a hundred million quid at the time, perhaps not such a big deal, you know. It, it seems incredible to say that, really, doesn't it? But as Neil says, I think it's, it's all relative. There are, there are certain clubs that they might have spent a tenth of that on a player and it would have been far more damaging to them than Chelsea spending 100 million quid on Romelu Lukaku, for example. I think the point about the fit is just as important as the money as well, isn't it? Because if somebody disrupts your your system, your style, your, your dressing room, however you want to approach it, then even if they come in on a free, that's a disaster. And, and we've probably seen some some weird free transfers that in hindsight you look at and you think, yeah, you should never have done that. Whether it's because they've been a disruptive influence or because they've come in on tremendously high wages that you then can't ship them out or or even just because it's kind of embarrassing. I mean, it, it didn't relegate Southampton or ruin them, but something like Ali Dia is a transfer <laughs> disaster to me. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. The Ali Dia thing is quite interesting um, because... In, in my research for this for this episode, he was ranked by ESPN as the worst Premier League transfer in history. Did they actually pay a fee? No, it was for, he, he was, was on he trial, was tri- right? He was a trialist, wasn't <laughs> he? Was he was a fake trialist, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, um, that feels unfair to call him the worst ever. I mean, it was they, used to, they used to do some weird because it was around the same time that Man United did William Prunier. You played at centre-back in one game against Spurs and Spurs absolutely annihilated them. So they, they don't do that anymore, do they? I mean, so I suppose it's squad registration rules and things like that. 
But I mean, th- th- I mean, beware the free transfer because th- there's often a reason players are coming in on a free, and it's either because their previous club didn't think they were up to much, or there's a massive discrepancy between what the player thinks they're worth and what their previous club thinks they're worth. So, I mean, look at look at Sergio Ramos at PSG, right? So, so he didn't play essentially last season. Yeah. So, I mean, I I don't even like to think what his wages are, but PSG have basically paid him a very handsome wage, like a pension, really. Like, you know, Uncle Florentino doesn't want you anymore. So, go across to the uh, the shake and get yourself a pension. I mean, it's absolutely absolutely bizarre, and I, th- I think PSG fans have made Ramos very aware of what they think of that. There's big problems at PSG, aren't there? With that, there's a huge disconnect between fans and the uh, and the ownership and PSG, and you you can see that sort of all falling apart rather quickly. If um, they've made the change with Pochettino, haven't they? Or it's interesting. It's interesting actually. Just as a side note, the chief exec has has come out and said that they want the team to be Parisian, based around youth, and they basically with this Mbappe contract. They've essentially made him director of football. <laughs> so, it's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see because it looks like Neymar's on his way out and it, and it looks like they're going to go in a slightly different direction. So, yeah, Ramos may not be long for that club. But <laughs> but the other thing is when you sign a, a player to a, a big contract, it's not as easy to get rid of them as, as, as you think. I think about Winston Bahade, right, at, at Chelsea. Basically, they made him train with the kids thinking that would make him want to leave. And he was like, well, that's fine. I'll go and train with the kids. <laughs> you know, and, and he, they pay that a his, week. Thank you very much. They pay that his contract for him to play five aside with 16 year olds for, like, for four years. Um, nice work if you get it. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, like from what I understand, there was nothing ever wrong with his professionalism or, or anything. It's just that the managers, managers didn't rate him. But, you know, what incentive has he got to go and, and be paid less somewhere else? Is is basically like, back, was like was, Real Madrid is a yeah. A, I was literally about to say that like what what if you're going to pay Gareth Bale half a million quid a week and you're not going to pick him and he's surrounded by some of the best golf courses in Europe, what motivation is there for him to to do anything different? I mean he's I, I, I suppose that whole situation was fairly unique. Yeah, um, and and also worth saying that that Bale's Madrid career is is uh, an awful lot better than people realise it was. You know, I mean, I mean you, you could make the argument that eighty five million quid represents a bit of a bargain for what he did for that club in the first sort of four years of his career there. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention the you know randomly turning up in, against Liverpool and having an absolute worldie off the bench. <laughs> so one of the teams that comes up a lot in the, this what I was doing my research it's funny as you just mentioned them is Chelsea so that wasn't their only mistake the purloined free transfer who became the for a long time the marker of, of Premier League waste I mean, Chelsea have thrown an awful lot of money to the wall where it hasn't stuck where, I mean whether you're thinking of the signing of Shevchenko which subsequently put down as a Roman Abramovich vanity project or or the Fernando Torres debacle in 2011 that never really worked out even Kepa becoming I think I sort of described as the most world's most expensive bench warmer <laughs> you know there's an awful lot of times where Chelsea have gone big with their transfer fees and it just hasn't worked out Kepa was worth it just for the the uh, cup thing Sorry, all Kepa. Basically, I mean, all four, all three Carabao Cup moments for Kepler, I think it'd be worth thinking about, aren't they? But, but yeah, like the whole bringing the keeper off the bench for pens, like the Tim Krull. I'm a big fan of the Tim, the Tim Krull move. 
but yeah, I mean, I, I guess the thing with Chelsea is it was that they were going to spend their money. It was almost like a sort of social experiment. They were going to spend their money until they won their titles, really. So, you know, that first flush of spending under Abramovich, if you look at some of the players they bought, it was kind of like, oh, uh, we, are we ever going to use them? Don't know. But, but we'll buy them, we'll stash them, we'll see what happens. You know, like you, you could, you know, obviously Joe Cole became a real player, but, but you know, when they bought him, he just kind of sat around for a couple of years before Mourinho, you know, reinvented him. They bought Steve Sidwell. You know, there's all sorts of weird buys. I mean, you can look at the modern day stuff as well and say, you know, they'll just buy any old promising young player and, and loan them out to people. Like Bakayoko has played, I don't know, what, 15 games for Chelsea tops and has been on loan. Monaco, AC Milan. It's like he's apparently coming back this summer and he was get loaned out again. Um, but I mean, he's like a like a deluxe version of Danny Drinkwater, isn't he? Because Danny Drinkwater, like, he won the Premier League with Leicester, was signed by Chelsea in 2017 for what, 35 million, something like that. That's spot on, yeah. He played 12 times under Conte, right? And then he hasn't played since. He went to Burnley and played one game. Mm-hmm. I think he played a handful of games at Villa and then got sent back because he headbutted a player in training. Yep. Um, I, think it's, I think it's two then, games, isn't it? Oh, he lost I, them I, both. I, <laughs> Something just, like I think he, he played for Reading last year. Danny Drinkwater and Andy Carroll playing for Reading last season. Like, what a festival of football that would have been. Again, like I referred to at the start, 35 million quid for Chelsea is not. But now it's likely it has been a drop in the ocean. Yeah, like to be a bit different now. You, yeah, you'd absolutely. probably think. And and it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be interesting because that because that kind of financial fair play situation is gonna affect them a, a lot more and they can't probably afford those they'll still be a, a big spending club, but they won't be able to afford those kind of mistakes. But they've had just problems mentioned... recruiting strikers, haven't they, Chelsea? Well you've mentioned Torres, you've mentioned Shevchenko. Adrian Mutu, that ended well, didn't Gosh. it? Lukaku, Werner, like all, yeah. all these players they've, they've tried to bring in to, to spearhead their attack and none of them have lived up to it. And, and ironically, they've let one go. Tammy Abraham has scored 20, 20 goals in Serie A last season. So I think again, the, Lukaku did the same thing the season before, didn't he? The, the weird thing about the, the, the Lukaku thing is that um, Tickle's system relies on a dynamic creative false nine type who kind of drops in so that you, so that the inside forwards got some space so they kind of play that that sort of three four two one and every time Kai Havertz plays in that role he looks absolutely world class and that's really what they should have been doing is just playing Kai Havertz there and then they've got a rotating cast of wingers inside forwards to, to kind of play in those other two roles and instead they went and bought a proper centre forward who thrived at Conte's inter because in the same way as as, as Kane in Conte's Spurs like the whole thing is built to his strengths and that's the thing with Lukaku is that he's a he's very very good at what he does but you do have to build the team around him and that's why it didn't work for him at United and that's why it didn't work for him at, at Chelsea because he was expected to go and and make the play and, and that's not his game. So as Pete said at the start, like sometimes if you buy a player without a plan, I've got some sympathy for Lukaku in him saying, you know, Tickle's not 
got the best out of me and has not tried to get the best out of me. I think there's there's a lot of truth to that. But he was never likely to fit Tickle's system in the first place. So it was um it was an odd buy, I think. Do you uh, think do you think Tuckle wanted to sign him? The only thing the only thing I can think is that he thought he was going to change around the way that they played. Because that Arsenal game when when he you know, bullied the Arsenal defence around the early part of the season when Arsenal's defence was awful. It, it looked like an inspired move. And I wonder if he just got cold feet about changing the system and thought, no, hang on, I've got something that won the Champions League. I'm I'm, I'm going to stick to what I've got. I know he, Lukaku did have some injury problems, didn't he, at, um, just after he had he started and had that good game against Arsenal. He then was injured for a bit and uh, maybe just sort of, lost the trust and then of course he goes to sky italy and, and does that stupid interview and it all kind of goes wrong from there just to uh move us on slide because one of the things you said there was uh, by uh, buying people without a plan and that just reminded me of someone that we've we've already he's already come up once in this this show but i think we have to touch on him as a disastrous transfer and that's andy carroll to liverpool <laughs> <laughs> sorry um roy roy hodgson era liverpool is uh I guess that was Dalglish, actually, wasn't it? That but, was Dalglish, but, yeah. But Roy, Roy Hodgson really, in Liverpool is hilarious as well. Like, you know, buy Robbie Keane and then sell him back to Spurs at a discount. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate, pan- it's the ultimate it, it panic buy, that. isn't it? It's the ultimate panic buy. I mean, you Chelsea come in for Torres at the last minute. Torres wants to go. Maybe it was the right time for Torres to go, given what happened to him later in his career. Like, obviously, he's dogged by injury. He's not the same player that he was. Yeah, 50 million three was, was uh, 50 yeah. million quid is far too much to turn down for a player who was basically playing on one knee at the time. Andy Carroll for Newcastle that season had been excellent. Oh, yeah. And the, the so the story goes is that they, they kind of offered us about 15 million quid and we we said no because you know he'd scored sort of something like 10 or 11 league goals for us by by Christmas which in a team that was newly promoted you know you're pretty happy with and we thought you know and the thought was Newcastle aren't going to sell him unless they get silly money for him and then silly money came in for him (laughs) like 35 million quid for how old was he at the time 21 Um, he couldn't be much older could he he was he was still a kid basically you know and you know he had some attributes. You know, good in the air. He could. He had a, a bullet of a left foot when he caught it right. He, defenders didn't like playing against him. He was awkward to play against, and he retained that all the way through his career when he was fit. You could see that he he made defenders uncomfortable. The, the problem was he just couldn't stay fit, and also it was a weird signing for Liverpool. I mean, like I to guess replace Torres with that. I mean, they brought in Suarez at the same time, didn't they? Yeah, Which obviously turned out to be the and, if you t- cheaper. and I think if you, you know, if it had been flipped round and they paid 35 million for Suarez and maybe 22 million for Carroll, given the season he'd been having, it wouldn't have seemed so bad. So, you know, I, I don't think Liverpool will look back on that and think, well, you know, that was 60 million really badly spent, given they got 50 million for, for Torres, who, who was not the same player that he was. The other weird Liverpool signings were Benteke. And Balotelli. I mean, yeah, I mean, Markovic was just bad, wasn't he? But like Balotelli and, and Benteke, again, like they were sort of Rogers just going, uh, I don't know, Suarez has left, what am I going to do? And and again, like, you know, Benteke at Villa, I'm sure, you know, Pete will 
uh, will say was just an absolute monster, but um, was never likely to suit the way that a Brendan Rodgers team played, never mind a Jurgen Klopp team. No, uh, Benteke had three kind of moves, really. He could rifle it in from the edge of the box. He was dominant in the air if you were putting in crosses. And the third one was that if you were playing a high defensive line against him, he could embarrass run-of-the-mill Premier League defenders. If you move him into playing for Liverpool rather than playing for a Villa team in which he was really the only threat, he's not going to be playing against defenders on the halfway line most of the time. He's going to be coming up against people who are defending their own box. So that's one of his kind of avenues taken out. They weren't going to start putting in crosses for him because that would mean changing everything about the way that they played. So all of a sudden, all he can do is take pot shots from the edge of the area. And once his confidence was gone, they weren't going to go in. So, yeah, it was a, a disastrous move for them. Although, again, not it didn't work out too badly because I think they, they bought him for, what, 30-odd million quid mm. and then managed to sell him to Crystal Palace for 25 million quid. So, they, you know, given, given how badly it. he did for them, it, like, it, it does kind of, you know, if you lose 5 million quid on it, it's, it's not the end of the world, is it? And I suppose, I mean, do you have to bear that in mind when you consider how bad these transfers are? Well, that was one um, of the things that when Liverpool were weighing up because the story of that day the transfers of Suarez and Carroll has been told in glorious detail if you want to go and go and find it and one of the things that justified it when they were working out do we want to pay this money was the idea of oh well if it goes wrong we'll be able to sell Andy Carroll on to Villa or West Ham for about half what we paid for him and recover half of it that way and lo and behold they sold him on to West Ham for about half what they paid for him so <laughs> you know it kind of should be I mean, the truth that, is, uh, if you've got if you've got young, you know, a young English player, you get you're going to get a fair amount for them, aren't you? That's the sad that's the sad thing about the uh, the, the English player tax. Yeah, I mean, it should be said as well that Liverpool tend to be very good at that kind of thing, at sort of getting value back for their transfers, like by rights, right? You know, Mane with one year of his deal left, he shouldn't be getting 35 million. They're, you know, but they've they've got that much out of Bayern, so they are very well run. Liverpool, like they they kind of know what they're doing on that front, um, as compared to sort of some other some of the other big clubs. They're pretty it's good a, at ripping ripping teams off as well. How much did Sheffield United of... play for Rian Brewster? Oh God, Brewster and Ibe, like absolutely <laughs> outrageous. How much they got for those two? It's also a trademark of the the Red Sox in baseball, or obviously the other franchise owned by the Fenway Sports Group. So, yeah, it's something that they have introduced since taking over at Liverpool. Not always the case if you look through previous regimes. If you look at in like the Benitez era, some of Liverpool's business does look a little bit dodgier. Let's say someone like Aquilani for what was it, almost 20 million, and I think probably was let go to Italy on a free. Things like that just don't happen at Liverpool anymore, but they were good fun for a while there. And um, I think it's generally thought that Liverpool, Liverpool's transfer business these days is is extremely, they think about it very hard. Like They, they don't just go in for anybody. They're aware they don't have the financial muscle to compete with the likes of PSG and City and um, and Chelsea so they, they do have to be smarter about it and by and large they get it right don't they and, and how much Jurgen Klopp has to do with that 
I suppose what we won't know, but their recruitment over the last couple of years has been on the whole pretty smart. Yeah, they have a committee, don't they? And Klopp sits on the committee, so he kind of listens to what the what the, the scouting I mean, department have got to say, and then they kind of move on players. So I mean, he he he. Yeah, this is uh, really interesting. He had this interview the other day where he's like, right, we need a do-it-all midfielder that is physically dominant, can defend, pass, and surge forward. We want him to. He's basically describing Jude Bellingham, but he's just basically putting it out there like, okay, I'm not going to recruit that player this summer. Um, but I'll do it next summer, and and essentially all all signs point towards Bellingham being a Liverpool player, you know, this time next year, which it, will be a very good transfer. <laughs> it's it, it, absolutely world class. Um, but it's 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 interesting to think of those those sorts of young players that do go too soon, you know, and then they and then they get lost. That's just Jeffers. I mean, funny Jeffers going to Arsenal is a, a great example of that. I don't think he cost very much. I think he was only five or six million. I thought he was more like 18 million. Oh, was he really? Yeah. I seem to remember being that them getting him a little bit earlier. It was um, carry on. I'll I'll find it now. It's almost 14, which was a lot of money. Yeah, 13.8 million. Yeah, I mean, and also that's the thing is that he was a fox in the box at just the point where that kind of stopped being fashionable in football. And also Wenger, I guess post Ian Wright hasn't used foxes in the box because yeah, obviously Henri was just to kind of do it all you know do it all centre forwards you know Carnu was completely unique I mean, there's ever been a player like Carnu ever again really and uh, Will Torb was kind of like a budget Henri so yeah he, he kind of didn't really fit into what Arsenal were doing so that was a bit of a like Wenger did this weird thing sometimes didn't he where he's like Almost like saying to himself, oh, you know what? I really should buy an English player because he obviously <laughs> the press would get on him for, you know, for unearthing all these kind of French gems and be like, what about the homegrown Arsenal players? And so he would go out and buy a Richard Wright or he'd go out and buy a Franny Jeffers. Were those two in the same window as well? Yeah. And, and it was it, it very rarely worked out, you know, and obviously in the end, he was fortunate enough to have Wilshire and Ramsey come through. I guess Ramsey they bought from Cardiff when he was quite young and um, and Wilshire came through the academy and then you, you kind of got two home nations players that, that ends up being good players for Arsenal. But he struggled to buy English players that were good, didn't he, for quite a while. He, he, he was very good in his target market, but didn't seem to get it right with those, those kind of, um, yeah, the British signings. We've been very 21st century focused so far. So what are some of the earlier kind of... What, Marco Boogers. Early... Yeah, that, that does jump to mind, isn't it? <laughs> Marco Boogers is an all-time one, isn't it? Like, So I remember that summer, you know, I mean, again, like people think this obsession with transfers is a new thing. Like it isn't, you know, for any younger uh, listeners, it's just that you're on CFAX and so the internet or, you know, you were kind of reading it in Shoot magazine or something uh, or in the newspapers. But... The, the the gossip was just as kind of heady as it as it is now, but it was kind of like right, West Ham has signed this exciting Dutch striker, and then in one of his first games, he does the most scything two-footed tackle maybe that you've ever seen, uh, and gets himself a straight red. And I read an interview with him, um, I think it was last year, it might have been in the Athletic, and he he 
I think he lives in a caravan park in Holland now or something. <laughs> um, but he's quite an interesting character. Like he, he, he was kind of quite reflective about it. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to recover at West Ham after that tackle, you know. There was, um, there was Andreas Salenci as well, wasn't there at Forest? And I think he'd, um, he'd scored a bunch of goals in Italy the season before, and he, he was brought in to replace Collymore, who'd gone to Liverpool. And he was crap. Like I don't, I don't think, I think he only played a handful of games, but he was awful. And I think they ended up having to go and they end up signing Pierre Van Hooydonk instead. Well, Van Hooydonk came the season they came back up, I think. Yeah, I may have got that mixed up because I think he was. Um, he would still have been at Celtic, wouldn't he, Van Hooydonk? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember who actually was playing up front for them after Carly Murray gone. I've got... I think Brian Roy. Brian was... Roy was there for a bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, Brian Roy was good for them as well. He he scored quite a few. Um, it, it's, I mean, Decanio is an interesting one, isn't he? Because obviously, like, he was a fantastic footballer, but then he, he pushed the ref over. So, like, if you're Wednesday, he pushes over the ref, he gets banned for ages, and then you have to sell him to West Ham. And then he does really well for West Ham. Like, that must have been really annoying for Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the other one that I, I really like um, around this sort of time is um, is Seth Johnson. Oh, God. Um, because it's it's not just a story of you know, a, a player who signed and then got injured. Or oh, leads um, full stop, really. Well, I mean, it's, it's symptomatic of the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, Leeds at that time were an absolute basket case. They're they're signing they're sa- signing players on the never never. Rocket Junior. Rocket, you know. So Seth Johnson, I think it was it was ten million quid. Yeah. From Derby County, and the story goes that he, he turns up with his agent with a meeting for Peter Ridsdale. Who Pete? Oh, you you know lots about. Yeah, um, <laughs> I am the Peter Ridsdale expert on this podcast. <laughs> um, and he, he goes into this meeting wanting about fifteen grand a week or something, and Ridsdale comes in with thirty grand a week, and then J- Johnson sort of gasped in shock. Ridsdale interprets interprets this as him being offended by the offer and ups it to thirty seven k a week. This is in two thousand and one, <laughs> by the way. He, he, and he can't stay fit, can he? He has an awful spell with injuries, um, and I think he he plays he plays fifty odd times for the club, fifty nine times for the club. The sixtieth game was set to trigger a, a, a clause which would have triggered a payment of two hundred fifty grand to, to back to Derby. Leeds couldn't afford it, so he sat on the bench for the rest of the season, and then he went back to Derby um, at the end of it because partly because it was home and partly because he was impressed with the club's training facilities, which ironically had been funded by the 10 million that they received from from Leeds in the first place. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Leeds was completely insane. Like, you know, they spent stupid money on a post-injuries Robbie Fowler, stupid money on Roque Junior, who's got mugged off by any half-decent Premier League striker. Um, I mean, poor Michael Bridges, like wonderful player, wonderful young player at Sunderland, gets injured, career over basically by the age of 25, 26. 
So some of it was bad luck um, and some of it was bad judgment, but you kind of add up to what they were doing, their finances generally. And yeah, it's, it's a, a great example of a club that just signed players until they went under. And um, I mean, yeah. you just get the impression they had they had no idea how much they were spending. No idea how much no, that they were offering. Either. You know, because if, 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 you think like an extra seven grand a week on a player that you haven't even budgeted for and then suddenly you just you just offer it i mean that that's quite a lot of money mm. and we're not and you if, if this happened once you imagine it probably happened a few times i mean could you, if, if rio ferdinand sort of balked at his offer how much do you think peter ridsdale upped his offer by <laughs> yeah it's it's, it's 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 pretty bonkers and, and i guess at that point you know that kind of thing hasn't happened to a club and it was almost like everyone was in denial. It's kind of when you watch documentaries about the 2008 financial crash or Enron or something like that, it's always like, oh, you know, we knew it was dangerous, but we thought it'd be fine. And then, you know, narrator, it was not fine. <laughs> That's what Leeds was like, wasn't it? You know, these things kind of attach themselves to certain clubs is quite interesting. And this could be quite a long conversation. So I'm going to share these and then what we'll probably do is come back next week and have some more of this to uh, to, to kind of finish it off. Because I don't think we've even scratched the surface, but there's two that attach themselves to one club about 15 years apart. And I'm going to share them now. And the club is Sunderland. Uh, Apologies in advance, Sunderland fans, for dwelling like this. But uh, here we go. In 2000 is the signing of uh, Milton Nunes. Uh, Pete, that <laughs> yeah, I think Joe knows the story from that laugh. But uh, Peter Reed thought he was buying somebody else, and <laughs> they thought he was buying Adolfo Valencia, and ended up buying Milton Nunes instead for two point four million. I don't know how many uh, appearances he makes, but it's not a lot. And then fifteen years later, this is the the kind of punchline one, I guess. Ricky Alvarez in twenty fifteen, they uh, signed him with that kind of complicated modern structure where you have the the obligation to buy but somehow forgot to offer him the contract at the end of the year so even though they had the obligation to buy him from some italian club another italian club comes in and offers him a free transfer so they have to pay nine and a half million for a player they don't actually get to sign that's a disaster they, they, they took it to court um, and basically, they, their argument was that he he suffered a knee injury to his right knee, which they argued was caused by problems with his left knee. So they paid this initial, I think it's like 900k they pay for the for the for the loan and then the obligation to buy, provided they stayed up. And they tried to get out of it um, because of the injury. And basically to to make their point that they didn't want to keep the player, they didn't offer him a contract. So he was a free agent at this point. So he went to Sampdoria and then they lost the case. And then it got worse for them because um, one of his previous clubs claimed a solidarity payment from Sunderland as a result of it. And then they got sued by Alvarez himself. So, yeah, they lost an awful lot of money on that case and on that transfer that season they made all sorts of like really bad transfer decisions and it's it's something that you know arguably they're still paying for and you know as a Newcastle fan it it was quite entertaining it's obviously what's happened to them since is not 
great, really. But um, I mean, Alvarez is probably the worst of um, some very misguided uh, transfer dealings uh, at the stadium of light around that time. Anyone can make a mistake when it comes to judging a player, but that level of ineptitude is another thing entirely. OK, as I say, we will come back with some more of this next week. And, um, you know, if you've enjoyed it, please join us then for a little bit more, because, uh, as I say, we've barely scratched the surface of this. We've even not really spoken about any of our own teams. And I'm sure that there's plenty that we can dig into there if we can bear to relive it all. So, yeah, come join us again next week and we'll see you then. <laughs>